Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Welcome, folks. Hey, it's P- uh, it's Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're live, uh, delayed with my do 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 do. Uh, we're here this week. Uh, we've got a best of masters episode. But uh, before we get into that, I want to welcome my co-host to the show, uh, Mr. Steve Nassar. and uh, Joe. Thanks again for hosting us here. You bet. Hi, guys. Joe's back in the cabin. You can see it over there. I was just um, very surprised to hear that at your at your mountain cabin, you've got three three computer screens, three screens to look at. I'm a little jealous. I'm at home and I've only got two. Hey man, have- it's a it's a cyber world, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's not just a C19 thing. It's people hire us for our brains and our marketing uh, strategy and negotiation skills. Anyone could turn a key, right? So yeah, I have uh, the same docking station at my house here and at uh, our West Lynn office. And I get my notebook, plug in one cord on the side. Yeah, everything works. It's charging automatically. It's it's <clears throat> terrific. So yeah, how much time do you spend in that cabin, Joe? Like twenty five percent? You know, it it really depends on the season, but uh, and there isn't a bad one up here. But I like to get here on uh, weekends a lot, and during the week if there's something special like a you know, you go morel mushroom hunting or uh, they have a Steiner cabin tour that's pretty cool or going for a hike. Um, I'd say 25% accurate. Yeah. Awesome. The, you know, the great place about the mountain where you're at, Joe, is two things. We were talking off the air. It's so close, so you can actually use it a lot. I also believe Hood River is similar in that regard. I think having a second home in Hood River makes a lot of sense, too. The other thing was there yesterday, is, showing property. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is the mountain's really fun in the summer, and it's really because you've got fun outdoor activities. You've got lakes. You've got those the golf courses of the resort. But it's obviously a great winter destination, so it makes it fun year-round. You know, you go to the beach, and what do you do there during the winter time? I mean, I guess some people are going to know, but – and bad talk to beach, Steve. You're gonna have some hate. <laughs> hey, does 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 Hood River have a different MLS? No, does it? I don't think so. I but don't think. So. I know you can find them in RMLS. I don't think they do. I don't, I don't think they do. Separately. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. Well. There we go. So what do we got going on this week, fellas? We, uh, we're guestless, so that's just the three of us. Uh, but I know that we got a lot of really good topics that have been mulling around. It's been kind of a wild, well, it's been a wild year. But uh, we've got some 
topics, hopefully that aren't too hot button, but very informative. Um, it's been a wild year. You said that with a straight face. Um, I, <laughs> since our last show, by the way, who would have thought that COVID would be, you know, like second page news? Um, there's been some, some, a lot of craziness since then. We won't go into to all that, but I love your one. Um, there was one Facebook and Joe, you're pretty brave with your Facebook posts, like the funny ones. Sometimes I, I'm a little bit more cautious because I'm like, I don't want to make light of something. The one that I thought was hilarious and I kept coming back to it was the one that goes, it feels like it, it feels like we skipped the, the murder hornets. Does, did we skip the murder hornets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely I don't know did. why that one just kept cracking me up. Like, <laughs> like, like it's it it just it implied like there is so much bad news around the corner. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're, get, we're getting used to it. We're getting used well, to it. Yeah. There's been lots of good news lately, though. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. talking talking market stuff. Um, everybody is sort of in their glory. Uh, great listings, priced well, flying off the shelf. You have sellers that are happy, buyers that are back in the mix. It's a little too competitive. Building is happening again. I mean, so much great stuff that we're waiting to exhale, right? And I think it happened two weeks ago. The, and the, the best job reports ever came out today, by the way. Two and yeah. a half million jobs created. Um, Hopefully no, it's I not agree. Tough. I mean, my, my listings are moving. Do you, do you guys feel like... Because you're on the front lines, you're talking to you know retail buyers, retail sellers. Do you feel like the that reluctance piece, that little bit of like hesitation that people had for call it almost sixty days? Do you feel like that's <coughs> basically gone um, with the people that you're dealing with on the retail front right now? Yeah. yeah. So before I I said the the high end two million plus, um, we're waiting it out. Um, they got affected by 12, 15% in value and their stocks took a dump and uh, they're almost back to where they were, right? I mean, they, they had that 30% and the stocks are like doing well. The under 500 got phased out for, uh, you know, losing their jobs. And so that, that middle tier of six to, you know, one and a quarter was really, uh, fast and furious and now everything is fast and furious yeah the one thing i noticed i was talking to my lender the other, just a couple days ago the one thing that is new and it's still being figured out is the ppp loans so if you think about it most people and, and that's affecting what i'm noticing and hearing is it's affecting the higher end market right most people a good chunk of people who are buying say a million and a half two million dollar house are usually self-employed. Well, a lot of self-employed people ran out and got these PPP loans. It was, and even people who weren't in dire situations is what she was saying is, you know, a lot of people that th that came out and they didn't know what the future held. So they would run, apply, get the PPP loan. Well, now what's happening is, you know, they're going and applying for mortgages and the lenders are going, what do we do with this? Like, is it, <laughs> you, you, are you in a dire situation? Why is this money suddenly, you know, it's being viewed as a distress signal. And so there's a little uncertainty about that. Now, whether that gets resolved, you know, is to be seen. And it, and it probably will, but it's a little bit of a new world that they're in right now. How, um, um, I'm just curious, like documentation wise, cause I'm thinking about this from a lender perspective, like how, 
does the lender see the PPP money? Like, are they looking, they want year to date uh, P&L and it just shows an influx of PPP capital into the business? Or does it show up as an actual that loan? Be, I mean, it can't show up as a loan on your individually, on your credit report. So, I don't know, maybe it's a good question. One of the lenders. Probably the The little two grand spiffy um, could be used towards down payment. I read that somewhere. Oh yeah, you mean the the t t yeah yeah whatever the two grand thing was could be used towards down payment or closing costs or or something, and I know that's different from the PPE, but it was still like incentive, you know. Yeah, yeah, the PPP loan definitely should not be going to down payments. I think there would be big problems from that. I think there's strict earmarks for what that can go to. Um, the other thing that I, I have a client right now who's dealing with is she she's in a business that kind of got closed down for two months and now they are asking for a P&L. And um, so again, there's just challenges being worked through. Of course that P&L is going to look terrible for the year. Your year to date is going to be garbage if you were closed down to zero for two months or three months. So those are some of the challenges affecting self-employed people who, if you, again, generally speaking, are a little bit higher price points, right? Um, so that I think is affecting a little bit of the higher end market, but outside of those lending issues. And, and I mean, I think people are definitely the reservations about doing something seem to be, a lot better that's for sure yeah i wonder if like underwriting moving forward if you show a donut this year if they're going to hold that against you or if they're going to decide like we're just not going to look at 2020 income we just want to see 2019 we want to see year to date 2021 no they we'll don't just, do that yeah, yeah they i know they that, don't, which but. is ironic right i mean that's the catch 22 of course they, they they know you were closed down they know it wasn't your fault they know why but then they're hitting you for the, uh, on the pnl and going well we have to look at this because they're following guidelines that they've always had so yeah They'll, they'll figure it out slowly. And, you know, talking with Kurt with RMLS, I said, hey, what about days on market? What about coming soon? Wine this early in the morning, Steve? Really? Wine. <laughs> <laughs> I love those, uh, those Yeti coffee. wine cups. You can't break them and they keep it <laughs> the perfect temperature. Um, but what RMLS's view on that, um, they said, uh, look, everybody knows that it's the COVID deal and we want our data accurate. So he said, we're going to keep the days on the market. We're going to keep everything exactly the same. We just need the lenders to figure it out. Right. And there's no precedent. So they're going to wait until one forward thinking lender is going to make a loan and then everyone's going to follow suit. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what happens. When are we going to get Kurt on here, by the way? I, I've been meaning to reach out to him. Did you talk to him recently, Joe? Let's get him on uh, maybe next week if... Yeah, he wanted, he wanted to wait because... Um, he wants uh, everybody to forget what happened in January of this year for MLS. <laughs> Is that what he wants it to was, wait for? Uh, what's it? Paragon. <laughs> he, he's, he's kind of waiting to tell us new things, including Paragon, which is the new MLS system that feeds into MLS. Um, it's not unlike, I think that's what Willamette Valley uses. And so he wants to come on when he has lots of stuff to say. Oh, he's got plenty to talk about. Come on, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt's never short on things to talk about, but, uh, Oh no. Oh we'll, yeah. He'll have his microphone queued up. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a professional. We'll get him on here. We'll get him on here. Soon yeah. enough. 
Um, okay. Well, that so this means, is our first guest of masters live, by the way, guys. <clears throat> that, um, so we're going to be doing some, bear with us. We're going to be doing some toggling and searching and, and finding posts as we go through these. Um, I'll kick it off if you guys are good with that. I'll start with sure. the two that I brought up and then Joe, you can, you can tee up the, the ones you found. Um, the two that I brought up, um, kind of, they kind of, if you actually think about it at a high level, they kind of show you the quick shift we've gone, you know, from, from being in a market that was anemic and slow moving and sluggish to now everybody being busy again. Right. I mean, it wasn't, but you know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago at the most that we were on here and, you know, Terry Sprague was telling us like, Hey, call, any agent, call me. I've, I've got time for you. I'll take your calls. We'll chat about, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Now we're seeing posts where nobody's getting back to anybody and there's frustration. So let's talk about those. So Diane late, I'm going to try this Laban Labont, something like that. Um, on June 3rd, which is a day or so ago, two days ago to, um, to let agents know their offer was not chosen, what do you do? Call and explain, text, or question mark. I thought it was an awesome post. Um, I loved, I loved the answers because they really showed people thinking it through and that there isn't a one size fits all. It really depends on the extenuating circumstances. Um, Joe, Wasn't you want to second you post lay into that one? Or there was kind of a yeah. second post that tied into that, but I don't know. We could go into that after yeah. you get yeah. explain. But so we'll start with that one, and then we'll transition to Brian Belair's post, which is, "What if they never get back to you? Then what do you do? Like, how do you elevate it?" And that, yeah. that one got interesting, and there was a little bit of snippiness in there. <laughs> no, not on Masters ever. <laughs> never, never, right? Yeah. Um, well, so first of all, the when an offer is presented to a seller, they have um, three options. They can accept it, they could reject it, or they can counter. And in the reject it field, uh, you know, th they don't have to have a written response. They could just say, ah, I'm not accepting it, forget it. And then I think it's up to the agent to maybe document, hey, I presented it and the guy said, it's a terrible offer. In uh, Brian's post, he said both of those listings were on the market for a while. So these people kind of came in low and I don't know if that's a chop them off at the knees low or <laughs> maybe just seeing what they can get. But sometimes if they're low enough, the people, my clients would say, look, that's terrible. No, not taking it. And they don't spend any more time on it. No signing, no nothing. And uh, it's difficult because that other broker is not 100% positive that their offer even got presented. So uh, what I try and do is write a little note or say rejected per phone conversation or, or something to that effect. I am guilty of not getting back to everybody when I have multiple offer situations because, I mean, you're in a in a blender for, you know, 12 hours with all of these texts and phone calls and emails and offers coming in and, and love letters and all this stuff. Uh, I want to focus on accepting the one 
putting a different one in backup if that's the case. And then the rejecting ones, I, I call them personally and tell them, and I, I tell them how much I appreciate them showing the house and taking the time to write an offer. Um, but I sometimes fall down on getting them the thing that's signed that says rejected. So you call yeah. them. You actually give them a call and say, hey, sorry, bud. It didn't work out. That's good. I look, every single person, like, it, what's really funny is I've, I've had sellers, they'd have like 20 people go through the house and then they'll get an offer. And this person writes an offer and, you know, maybe it had a little work that it needed, it, maybe a little bit lower. And, you know, the seller's kind of posturing and, ah, this is a low offer. And, and I tell them, I'm like, look, if you're going to really get mad at anybody, get mad at the 20 people who came in, showed your house and left and sold them something else, right? We have a gift in our hand and it's our decision to figure out what to do with it. You know, accept, reject, counter, get mad at everybody else. These people took the time to write an offer and every offer, um, except the really low, terrible, trying to steal the house, not buy a house. Um, I appreciate it. And I want those brokers to know whether they get a thing that says rejected. Uh, sometimes I fall down on that, especially if I'm just going nuts, but I do, I call each and every person. Yeah. One of these posts, I don't know if it was this one or the Brian Belair's one. <laughs> one of the people said they had a listing that was two, two, I forget which side of the transaction, if they're the listing agent or the buyer's agent, it was $211,000 and somebody made an offer a hundred thousand under asking price. <laughs> that is a down and dirty offer. Like that is in the mud, but, um, <clears throat> and, and I'm, you can ruffle some feathers with those offers. That's a Corona but, offer right there. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a offer on life support DOA. Um, so here was what was cool about this post. I really enjoyed this post because I thought some people, I think some people were quick to just go. And I, I don't know if this was your approach, Joe. Some people were just quick to go, always call, always call, always call. And I think that's just too simplistic. Call is awesome. Make no mistake. But I mean, I think you need to take into account the communication done prior. Like if you sent me an offer and you never called me and you just sent me an email with an offer attached, I don't feel like I owe you a call. Now, if I want to call, hey, bonus points. I, I don't think that's, it hurts. But I mean, you, you establish the line of communication your way of your preferred way. So I can follow suit. And I think that's completely acceptable. Now, um, if you called me, then I think there's, there's an argument that I owe you a call. Um, if you texted me, then, then again, I think there's an argument that a text is fine. If, if you're, if you never called me, but you were texting and sending offers, the other, the other extenuating circumstances brought up by a lot of these great comments was, you know, how many offers do you have? If I have 20 offers, am I really going to call 20 people? Hopefully, and by the way, if you have 20 offers, you probably underpriced it. So you maybe deserve to be punished by calling 20 people. But, um, um, but so there's just a lot more to it. And I thought this post really was well laid out in that regards. And then, 
And then someone brought up, well, what, what if it is a 211 listing, listed at 211 and someone offers you 111? Do you really owe that person a call? So there's a lot more to it than the surface, like calls are always best. Now, that said, I want to give a shout out. I, I want to I mention that calls always should be how, I believe, how you should deliver bad news. Um, and and I'm, I'm shifting slightly. If you're in a transaction and there's bad news, say um, your appraisal's low, they're terminating, I do think a call is warranted. And this is a little different than the post, but I want to give a shout out to Justin Harnish. He, um, he's a busy guy. He's, he's, a, he's you know, the top agent in the area. I was in a contingent offer with him and we got bumped. Like literally we had been joking about, you know, hopefully we don't get bumped. Oh, you've been on the market for, this house has been on the market for a while. We probably won't. Well, literally we, we got the contingent offer accepted like three days later. It was eight o'clock at night, 7.30. I get a call from Justin. I'm like, hey, Justin. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've got bad news for you. And he told me on the phone, we just got another strong offer. We're bumping you. So kudos to him. He was delivering really bad news and he did it the right way. He could have hid behind an email. He could have shot a text, but he, he, he did um, voice to voice, um, you know, communication um, in a fluid manner where I could ask some questions and then I could turn around and deliver to my clients, you know, with, in an educated sense. By the way, if you call and they don't answer, you are allowed to leave a voicemail. I also believe that. Like you tried, you don't have to say, hey, call me back. You don't have to say, you know, you don't have to text them and say, call me back. I think if you called and they're not able to take the call, leave a voicemail and that's, that is effectively the same. So those are a couple of my thoughts. Um, you two go, I, I want to read some of these good comments here. I think it depends on the number, honestly. I mean, you know, we had a house that was listed for... You know, million one fifty or something, and we had a couple people reach out. They're like, "I'll offer you nine hundred grand," and it's like it was just an absurdly stupid offer, right? Um, and it, the house sold for way more than that. But the point is, is that if it's the cut them off at the knees offer, as Joe kind of referenced, I think there's kind of a little bit of um, there's rules of engagement with the cut you off at the knees offer, right? It's kind of like, well, do you really deserve a callback? I mean, did you really expect it to be accepted? First of all, right? Like. I think the only communication you get is, yes, we're incredibly desperate. We're not going to drop the price first and we're going to take that number, right? Like that's really the only communication you're going to, you should expect to get out of a situation like that. Um, and especially if you just send it over and you don't have a conversation first, right? Like if it's just like an email offer at 50% of list price or whatever, I just don't think it's worthy of a conversation, right? Because you're not having a conversation as much bullshit as that conversation may be to try and justify the offer on the front end. Like you're not spending the time to have that conversation to try and convince the world that you're right and they're wrong on their pricing. You just send it over blindly and hope that it gets accepted. So in that case, I don't think it's really deserving of anything, but outside of that, I think, you know, the niceties should play in. Mm -hmm. I want to read one comment. Annie Pasbrick, she brought up another extenuating circumstance. I mean, she's, she's agreeing with you, Tucker. On the receiving end, I appreciate a call when we were, were close and I'm, I'm fine with a simple text when there were several others much stronger offers on top of ours. Either way, I'd like a follow-up written communication for record keeping. But I mean, that's kind of the same thing, right? If, yeah. if you're in the hunt and you feel like you made a valid offer, then it's a little bit more, I think, um, uh, a call is more in order than if it's a, if it's a way off offer and there's way higher ones than you um you know there's there was there was some talk about education or feedback on the offer i thought those 
were interesting threads and comments and I, and there was both sides of them and I see both sides here. Some people were saying, well, you should call me because I want to know what was wrong with my offer and what we could have done. And if nothing else, I want to be able to convey that to my client, but also I want to be able to maybe learn something moving forward, which is valid. I, I see that side. But then other people were saying, yeah, but then you're just going to grill that that person's going to grill the other agent and go, well, what was wrong with the offer? How much is the other offer? And then there's a pressure to disclose stuff that they don't feel comfortable disclosing. I thought that was an interesting line. I mean, it's only three things, right? Price, closing timeline, and amount of financing, right? So whatever you wrote, it's one of those three factors as to why you didn't get accepted. So I don't know how much education needs to go on. Like, you know, you, you just, you got three buckets. So yeah. figure it out, right? Yeah. And it's usually price. <laughs> yeah. Usually price. So there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot goes into the responsiveness too, because people say, Hey, uh, you know, we see lots of posts on here about when I ask for feedback, give me constructive feedback. Just don't, don't say, Hey, it wasn't right for them. Maybe give them something tangible that they can go back to their clients and say, Hey, here's specific feedback on your property. But when you call these people for feedback and say, yeah, the, you know, it just, it smelled like cat pee and the carpet was terrible. And then instead of receiving that, that constructive criticism, they get defensive, right? So when you're calling to t tell somebody that your offer didn't get accepted, they're supposed to be receptive of why it didn't get accepted. So they have something tangible to give their buyers because there is a little bit of blowback when you write offers for buyers in a competitive market and you are losing again and again and again, and your people are 0 for 6, they are going to maybe bridge the gap and say, maybe it's that guy. Maybe we're not getting the deal. <laughs> He's not a good negotiator. Maybe we go from the listing agent uh, next time. And uh, so in, in circum, certain circumstances, when I had like lots of offers, I would do an email to everybody and I would put the email in a blind carbon copy so nobody can see each other. And I would say, I would like to appreciate, you know, I would like to tell you how much I appreciate all of you showing the property, bringing offers. We had nine offers total, um, not one of them was less than full price. Uh, two of them were cash. And I could just say this stuff and email it when I do email it to people. And then they can go back to their buyers. And if you say, hey, that two of them were cash, well, seven people are going to say, yeah, they had two cash offers. So your VA no down offer didn't get accepted. And that's probably why. Um, but I want to give them something that they can tell their buyers as to why we accepted a different one. If it isn't like Tucker said, point blank, obvious. Yeah. No, and I think mm -hmm. that's a good way to do business because people are on the other end. I mean, I'm not an agent, but I, obviously you have to be able to communicate with your clients, right. And say, why didn't it get accepted? And yeah, generally it's obvious, but if it's in a tight race, like, you know, we, we had, um, in our office here, we wrote a, an offer, um, with, uh, Carolyn who was on the show the other, a uh, few weeks or a month ago, whatever it was. Okay. Right. 
and yeah. and she you know the we didn't get the the house um or the clients didn't but she was very good at communicating and basically saying look it was a tight race but here's why right cash mm -hmm. wins in that case right mm -hmm. cash wins mm -hmm. so there you go you communicate yeah. it and everybody understands yeah. and you kind of move yeah. on to that. we're all professionals and we all we all want to look good to our clients and we all deserve to look good to our clients clients and we and honestly we should help each other look good to our clients um uh which That's a great point. another point What's that? That's a great point, Steve. That's we should help each other uh, give a soft landing to their buyers. Give them some tangibles that they can say, "Hey, we didn't win." And I talked to Steve. I talked to Joe. This is, you know, Tucker. This is what the reason was specifically. Mm -hmm. With there's only so much we can say, but we're trying to have these people save face with their buyers because buyers get frustrated and pissed. And if, mm -hmm. if their conversation with their broker isn't such, then, you know, they might find a new one. And mm -hmm. so we want to make sure they maintain those relationships. If there's anything I would hope the last couple of years have shown us is that the greatest competition and the greatest threat to us, to me, me, Steve Nassar, or you, Joe Fistolo, as a realtor, is not other realtors it's outside forces trying to impact our business technology i buyers so when we help each other when i help you joe look good to your clients they go back into their little world and they go i loved my realtor joe he was awesome right and when you do that to me my clients do that and when we help the, the consumers believe in us as realtors we are by far helping everybody in our industry. And when we don't do that right, and there's frustrations, then they're gonna start saying, hey, what can technology do? This, this process doesn't work. Um, I wanted to, one of those things that was brought up was um, don't click pending until you've notified everybody. That's a big thing. And I totally get it. I mean, in that same vein, I, and sometimes, I've seen it where they do it because their phones are blowing up, but you got it at the very least um, their phones are blowing up. And usually my, my experience would say that, that you probably underpriced the house dramatically and shame on you. Um, even though it happens accidentally, I get it. But um, uh, just, just do a courtesy and do the blind copy, grab everybody. I believe you can use century lock to help you with this. Like it can grab every email address of everybody that's shown the house and just quickly blind copy in case you had an offer on this property. Just want to let you know, we, we've accepted one. There'll be more further communication, but we are clicking pending something like that. So that all those agents with those offers on you, your listing aren't suddenly getting inundated from with phone calls from their buyers going, well, I guess we didn't get it. I see it's pending, which just makes them look terrible. And it could happen like almost simultaneous. Like it, let's say there's three people to notify. You can call and leave three voicemails and then say, Hey, I'm good. And then hit the button. Mm -hmm. um, I am guilty of, uh, you know, it, it takes a, a big man to, to say they're wrong. I misdialed uh, a broker to call them and leave a voicemail. And it just said, please leave a message at the, tone it didn't identify a name i didn't know it was the wrong number and then i got a kind of a friendly wtf man it, I, oh, it no. shows up as pending and and you didn't call me and i'm like oh i did and i'm like 
trying to prove it and go through my phone and I misdialed and it's a guy, a broker I've known for a while who I, who I like. And that's like the worst thing I could have done inadvertently, but, uh, I see Grady Nelson, uh, commented that he wrote 21 over, over ask and the same thing happened. Matter of fact, there's a new thread for maybe the next best of masters talks about deadlines. This is kind of a sticky situation. If someone says, Hey, we got an offer. Our deadline is Sunday at 7 PM and we're going to review them Monday morning. Well, that's the deadline. But if someone comes in with fire, 35 grand over ask cash, no nothing. And a short fuse on that, those deadlines can change. And all you brokers out there don't, don't shoot flames at the realtor because look, we're, we're the instrument that helps our clients make decisions, uh, binding contracts for buyers and sellers. Ultimately they make the decisions. And if the deadline changes, that's a, that's a on you thing. Get your offer to them before that deadline, stay in constant contact with them. Uh, anyway, it's, a. Uh, that's another good topic is deadlines and yeah we just got a comment from grady nelson thank you grady for watching us live just had one where we wrote twenty one thousand over i pre-called the agent and yet never heard from them and knew it wasn't accepted because it went pending and my client saw the notice okay so there's worst case scenario but look at this it goes it was accepted prior to the deadline on the rms confidential shouldn't you change rmls if you're accepting one shouldn't you change it and say sorry you know or put something in the private comments um, I got a crazy as offer. Well as communicating. So, yeah. Sorry guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So terrible position for Grady and it's, un, it's really unfortunate. Um, I wanted to give a, a, a shout out to Dale Ward. She said, send whiskey. <laughs> Remember the question was to let agents know their offer was not chosen. What do you do? Call, explain text or question, question mark. She said, send whiskey. That'll help. So, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. It's that always recommended. Yeah. yeah, let's let's transition over to Brian Belair's um, question. So his is the next level of this. So imagine that you send over the offer and they don't even respond. Um, I thought I printed it out. Maybe I do have it here. I mean, the gist of it was basically you send over the offer, you don't hear a response, you follow up with, you know, email, phone call, uh, you know, pigeon, whatever it is, right? And and you're still not getting anything from them, puts you in a tough spot. Number one, because you're just kind of irritated. But number two is what what the hell do you tell your clients, right? I'm assuming that was the gist of it. What do you tell your clients? What do you do? Do you? I mean, this this one kind of went down a, a few rabbit holes of um, do you uh reach out to their principal broker? Do you um call the seller? That was that was a new new um, <laughs> uh, train of thought to me, like the idea of calling the seller directly, like finding their number and going, "Hey, I just want to let you know I made an offer. Did you get it?" I I'm personally not super comfortable doing that, but I'd I'd welcome your guys' thoughts. I mean, Tucker, what if you had a multiple offers on one of yours and agents were calling you directly, or Joe, what what's your thoughts on all that? I mean, I wouldn't care personally, but I think that if it was a retail situation, I mean, I would. They're probably calling me because it wasn't the best offer, right? But it, hopefully we wouldn't get to that. Uh, in a retail situation, 
I don't know. I see that just causing all kinds of friction between agents and people, but I don't know. What's your take, Joe? Well, you don't right a wrong by creating a wrong. And if you look at, as a, as an analogy, there was a great injustice that happened um, with uh, a white man killing a black man, right? It's, it was murder. Everybody knows it. Burning down the city hall in your friggin' city isn't going to help that situation. So uh, I think if we break our parliamentary procedure of my clients are my clients, your clients are your clients, neither should we speak. If I were to Spokio or whatever and find that seller's information and contact them directly, I'm no better than the guy who is shining you on. Um, but I would try and escalate it a different way. At the end of the, at the end of it all, you know, Brian said he wrote two low offers and he didn't really specify how low the worse the offer, the lower the quality of response. I mean, if someone <laughs> gives you a crappy offer, good correlation, I'm not going to call them and, have a conversation like angels singing and butterflies. And I'm just going to say, yeah, we rejected your offer. It was crap, by the way. I think you already <laughs> knew this in advance, but uh, it's my duty to tell you next time, call me and I'll save you uh, 20 minutes of writing the thing. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like make a call and be like, Hey, is it worth even writing it? a hundred when it's listed at 200 and the quick answer is generally no. Okay. Thanks. I'll let my clients know. Like, that seems to be like maybe the the more fluid way to deal with the just the thought of even writing an offer like that because then you know if it's I mean I've done that many times and I'm not saying I'm a bottom fish but I've been like you know if something's on market a long time it's obviously not selling I'll talk to the agent and be like is it even worth I mean are they there mentally yet no okay no problem right pass you can also ask for comps that works well if you're sometimes a listing is overpriced and when it is um, rather than writing a lowball offer. Uh, it can be beneficial just to I call them and say, Hey, my, my buyer's interested. Um, they're a little concerned with the price. Can you share with us the research and the comps that you use to justify this price? It's kind of an put, asshole move though. Don't you think? Like, I don't think so. Do you think that is Joe? I think I think, so. I think, you're, you're, I think, I think that's a great prelude to a low offer. I mean, yeah, that's well, better than the low offer. I agree with you. It's a good prelude to a low offer, but don't you think that comes off like an asshole? Like it kind of does, right? Cause you're saying, Hey, you didn't value the property, right? Can you send me the data that proves that you don't know how to, pro you know, properly value the property? No, well, most of the time, most of the time it's not the agent. Agents don't willy nilly like to overprice things. Usually I know, but it's still a, a friction filled situation, right? Like whether they have to do it because the, the sellers were pushing them to list there or they did it. It's still based, you're questioning their ability to value the asset, right? Which I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it will create friction. I mean, I can't imagine you're going to have a great transaction uh, moving forward. If by some grace of God, you meet in the middle and you end up, you know, striking a deal. So I've had it asked of me and I view it as an opportunity. I honestly, I, I, I see it differently, Tucker. And you and I don't usually agree. I see it as an opportunity. Like, Hey, you're interested. You're interested in my, my property. Usually I'm going, yeah, you know, there might be a little meat on the bones. Let me do some research. And, and you try to share your data and yeah, I don't know. I mean, at least it's an opportunity to try to, to justify your side of things. And, and you can then say, what, why do you, show me why you think 
you know, it should be worth less. I mean, that's I just feel like it's kind of like arguing politics on social. Like everybody's digging in, right? Like I'm <laughs> going to give you comps that support it. I'm going to give you comps that don't. And it's so, I don't, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's just kinda... arguing politics on social media. doesn't work. What? Huh? <laughs> just a hunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, one of the questions here that I want to address, I want to get your guys' take on, is the idea that, and it's not an idea, it's, it's a very nice thing to have happen. In, in a perfect world, it always would happen, but we don't live in a perfect world, unfortunately, is the idea of um, <clears throat> getting rejection on the offer. Um, that, that's one thing a lot of people say they want to know that their offer was presented. They want proof of that. So they want to see a seller sign rejection. Do you, I mean, my, my personal take is if you have, you know, two, three offers and they want that, go for it. But sometimes you do have 10 offers and the seller doesn't want to sign 10 rejections. Um, so there was, there's a lot of debate around that and there's debate around what's required and what's absolutely you know, protocol. And I, I don't think it's black and white. What do you think, Joe? I, th I think the, what they want, really want to find out is that their offer was presented and there isn't funny business going on. You know, that's basically it. Um, you know, and they might have somebody, uh, their, their TC who says, Hey, I need a rejected on this piece of paper and they're hounding them. Um, but, I think what they really want to know is my offer was presented in its best light and we lost. And I think a lot of it kind of depends on who that listing agent is and their reputation and their, and their MO. And if it's somebody that seems a little smarmy, uh, maybe you do want that rejection on the piece of paper. Look, if I presented an offer, to either one of you guys and you just said, Hey, I got beat out, then I'm good with it. Right. I don't need anything else. You know, I know it's been presented at face value. I'm good. Um, mm -hmm. And you cannot force your seller to sign a rejection. Ignoring it is a rejection. It's just harder to prove. So uh, I think at that point is when you type something up and say, my seller had a great offer and a backup. He rejected all the other ones that were lower and didn't go through and sign every page or reject it. So let this be your notice. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. all they need. That's all you can do. Yeah. I you're, winning, uh, you're winning the online um, who's right, who's wrong with our argument, by the way. So uh, Angie Taylor uh, posted. She said that I'm wrong. You're right. So in an era where nobody admits wrong on social media, maybe I am wrong. So. <laughs> oh, look at that. Look at that. Maybe, maybe there's a hope for politics someday. Maybe. Nah, probably not. Yeah. It, let's read it. Angie Taylor Arnett. I don't think having comps makes it look like an asshole move, but rather it can have an opportunity to actually show the buyer where the other side is coming from, especially if the buyer broker isn't super uh, disc in or similar familiar with the neighborhood. It can be an opportunity to meet in the middle. It depends on how you phrase the question. I agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Angie, for, for making me write Tucker <laughs> <laughs> Um But back to our, back to our thread here with uh, Brian. Um, the, uh, oh gosh, what, what was I going to say here? I mean, um, 
I agree. Oh, uh, I think ideally you want to give them rejection, especially if they're asking for it. Um, one of the things people say that I want to point out, it is a seller's ultimate decision. We have a code of ethics and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, didn't they recently in the last couple of years add to the code of ethics that you have to show proof of all offers being submitted? Wasn't that an official change? You're supposed to try or you're supposed to make it obvious. Um, well, I, 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 that's been there for a while. There is a section to reject, but what I'm saying is you can't force your seller. That's, no, that's where uh, I'm going. That's where I'm going. The seller doesn't have a code of ethics, so they don't have to. and We can't force them. But that said, the one thing that I think would be a disservice to not acknowledge is usually, that's usually, Sellers do what we tell them to do. I mean, we, you know, if we say, hey, you know what, they're nice people, we should probably give them rejection. They, they'll do it. Um, where it gets a little bit different is when there's just a gazillion of them. So, Joe, move us on to your next question. I think we've. Okay. Um, so, this is interesting. Um, Annie Passbrig, and this is just 19 hours old. So I was searching RMLS today for some options for a client and I came across a listing that is giving me pause. In the second photo, there is a giant Confederate flag flying in the front. It personally makes me feel uncomfortable. Do I reach out to the listing agent and ask for context? Do I send it on to my client with a note about the flag? Do I just ignore it? Uh, what would you do? Well, wow, this one's crazy, guys. This loaded, is crazy. This is a loaded question. In, but in Portland, Oregon, this is this is this is nutso. I just want to point out if anyone wants to text me privately, the address 503-805-5582, the address. I would I would like to pull up an arm list. There it is not mentioned, and nor do we need to out the address on this show, but I would like to look in RMLS just to see this because that's especially in this environment man that is something to have a confederate flag in your main photo or one of the photos well let's just break it down to simplicity right you're trying to market a home for sale put it in its best light i think we can unanimously agree that probably doesn't put it in the best light right um in terms of marketing a home for sale so probably not a good idea um you know what else that when I see that causes pause, I don't want to compare the two, but I see it and I'm like, what in the hell were they thinking? Which people see this and they say that is when you leave a roller basketball hoop in front of the house, when you take a curb shot of the home to try and make it look good, roll the basketball hoop out of there. Right. I see that and, and nice homes too. But anyway, my segue, what do you think, Steve? What, what, what well, um, <clears throat> poor John McKay. He's a great guy. He's actually with our company and he, he, and I don't, I don't refute him. He was trying to make the case that there are people who, who view it as, um, as, you know, heritage or, you know, Southern pride and probably they're older people, right? Do you guys remember the Dukes of Hazard? Do you remember the roof of that car? I mean, that was in the seventies, right? It was mainstream then. So, you know, there are people who are probably in their, later in life, 80s, that that's just what they grew up. It was okay. There was monuments all over their states growing up where that was, that was like a sign of, you know, now is, but you know, that should have changed over the years. And I'm not justifying that by any means, um, by any means. But um, so John was trying to make that point, And I think he got, 
I, I think he got kind of um, <laughs> railroaded. And, and, yeah. And, and I, I, I think, I don't think it was, I mean, I, I, he has the right to make that point is, is, is what I'm saying. Um, he wasn't justifying that it's okay to have the flag. He was, he, people were saying in this thread, they are 100% racist. And I would probably say they're probably 99% racist, but there's an outside 1% chance that they're completely delusional or something. And I think that was kind of what he was trying to say is, you know, we can't speak to what's in their heart or mind. It definitely, I, I would be curious the conversations that happened between the agent and those people. Or did I, they I not have one? Maybe they didn't have one. That's why it's there, right? Do you not have that conversation? Like, like you said, Tucker, I mean, view it, forget the fact, just view it like a basketball hoop in front of the house. This is all emotions, all, you know, everything about what the flag represents aside. Just say, this is how you will alienate some of your buyers. By the way, it's all supply and demand. E Economics 101. The more buyers that want your house, the more money your house is worth. Why would we ever want to alienate any buyers or have it be, you know, something that is a distraction from the process? Um, yeah, crazy town. Have I got any texts here? Well, text it around later and we'll see where, <laughs> where it is. I'm curious. Somebody text me that, that address and I'll, I'll get it to you guys okay. so we can, right. you can look at it. Anything else on that one? I mean, um, especially in light of the, the, the times we're in, I, I, I think we're in a Me Too type movement right now, which is awesome, which is awesome. Um, I think, they're, I think it's, it's needed. And, um, but just like, just like with that, you just have to be so careful these days. Um, anything, you know, <clears throat> there was, everybody's looking for, for, signs of problems and when you look when people are looking for racism or it's something that indicates racism a lot of times they'll find it where even where it isn't so definitely we and our clients should be um going out of our way to you know avoid that scrutiny and and and, and err on the side of being cautious in in all ways yeah. would be it's just about putting the best foot forward with the house right make yeah. it appear as good as possible so you get the most money as possible kind of goes hand in hand with me but. i want to but there's one other component to this so the question was forget okay so we've talked about the flag on the house and, and what that means and all that from the seller standpoint the question was and i don't think we've addressed this i was searching armless today for some options for a client i came across a listing that gives me pause in a second photo there's a giant confederate flag flying in front it personally makes me feel uncomfortable do I reach out to the listing agent and ask for context? Do I send it to my client with a note about the flag? Do I just ignore it? What would you do? The one comment that I thought was valid, valid um, I mean, there's a lot of valid comments, but one that I thought was interesting, one of, from a buyer's standpoint, if your clients like the house and it works for them, it's almost advantageous that that stupid seller is shooting themselves in the foot and causing other buyers to pass it over because now you from the buying side if you can put your emotions aside and especially as realtors that's our job right let the buyers be emotional let the sellers be emotional our job is to just be little um vulcans with no emotions right that's the star star trek uh, <laughs> yeah we got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um 
let your client, I would have a conversation going, whoa, you know, this is crazy town. I'm not sure what's going on. If you still like the house, this might be an opportunity because these guys are making some poor choices, in my opinion, that, that is going to hurt their listing. We might have less competition. We might be able to get it at a, at a, at a uh, we may be able to get it instead of a multiple offer situation. We may be able to get it less than we otherwise would. Um, how do you feel about this buyer? So do you guys feel any different on that or thoughts? So I'm, I'm going to be the unpopular uh, belief here. So uh -oh. I'm sure I'm going to have flaming arrows shot at me. But um, look, right now in society, everybody has diaper rash about everything. An example you put a sign in your yard and say, Black Lives Matter, for example, right? That's a, that's, that's a statement. And then you have other people saying, well, hey, all lives matter. So you're being a prejudice because you're saying Black Lives Matter, but all lives really matter. And where does it stop with the flag, right? What if it was a rainbow flag, you know, mm -hmm. or it's a Confederate flag? Here's what I know. As a listing agent, I would say, hey, we want to depersonalize your house, but not make it void of all personality, strip down some of the family photos, get your political and religious stuff out of there. Um, the only thing I need to think about as a potential realtor bringing a buyer to this is, is there any safety issues for the people I'm bringing there? That's really it. Because every time you close on a house, those people who are waving whatever flag they have aren't going to be there, right? So what does the house look like? Where is it? How well is it priced? And I don't care what kind of flag they have there. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. If you have something that's offensive to a lot of people, it might work better for your buyers. Mm -hmm. But I see the Confederate flag. I think a Duke's a hazard. I think a Leonard Skinner. I think a whiskey and guns and i i think of uh the south and there's also some horrible stuff associated with it but it's not my listing if it was that flag would be out of there but mm -hmm. it's not my listing and if i'm bringing a buyer all i need to think about is what's the culture and and the the could my buyers go there and be safe <laughs> Are we walking into harm's way for whatever it is, whatever sign they have hung in their living room or any of that stuff? I'm just worrying about safety. Other than that, we're going to make our basis on the home based on market value. And so uh, I, I agree collectively with the group. I would advise my clients to take that down as a listing agent, but they can have any flag or anything they want inside. It's not going to stop me from trying to find the best property to my buyers. And I would hope that my buyers wouldn't be so butthurt about whatever sign or flag or widget that is in the house that they would exclude it from seeing it if it very well could work. So you got to remove those emotions from it as long as everyone can go look at it and, and feel safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Emily Hetrick, great comment here. My stager has a great script for getting sellers to remove stuff like that. Everything from religious stuff to sports memorabilia. 
anything like that could alienate somebody. You know, it's true. I sold a listing in Tigard on Summerview that had what I called the beaver room, right? It was this room. You can actually <laughs> give you guys the address. You can go on RMLS and you'd pull it up. It was a room. It was a shrine to, to the Oregon State beavers. And I didn't, it was, there was too much to go at, but I knew in the back of my mind, I mean, you're going to, you know, people aren't going to not buy the house, but why do you want to, you know, create, and that's probably the most benign format form of this. Oh, unless but, you're a duck and then, you know, it's, <laughs> that's a heated argument, you know, but yeah, yeah but, but it's, it's just, you, you want to, you want to neutral's good on this stuff. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Emily said exactly. No Ducks fan is going to love that. Yeah. So, um, and Eric Post likes your, your, likes your advice, Joe. There you go. Yep. It's uh, I think it's, it's look doing our job, right? We're, we're just, we're there to move real estate and make people happy. And it's independent of the seller's views. Gosh, I've sold lots of homes where I didn't agree with the seller or the buyer and their views, but it shouldn't stop them from you know, from title being transferred, they can fill their house with all of their hatred or whatever they want. I don't care. Uh, it's, it's, I, I'm not going, and where does it stop? I mean, if you were to notify your buyers, I mean, would you notify them if it had a rainbow flag? Would you mm -hmm. uh, notify them? Um, how do we know what's in their head? We're not psychologists, although we feel like it oftentimes. And I think we just say, hey, look, here's this house, here's the size, here's the location. It checks all the boxes of what you're looking for. But, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Joe. I don't know that it needs to be brought up. I don't know that it needs to be brought up. I'm, I'm with you. And, and if, I, if, I, if I conveyed that before, I mean, I, if the client brought it up, that would probably be the conversation I'd have. Like, yeah, this is kind of crazy town, you know, might be an opportunity. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, oh, here's the other thing I want to say. One of the most important things that we as realtors do, there's a lot, but probably one of the most important things we do is we de-emotionalize transactions. Our job is to take emotions out and, and, and inject logic. I've been in many transactions where the buyer stops, starts to hate the seller. And I have my job is to remind them, you know what? You're not buying that guy or you're not buying that gal or you're not buying them. They're not going to be around. When you move into that house, they're going to be a distant memory and you're, they're never going to be around. So let's just focus on, on the transaction. The what you don't want to do is be the opposite of that. And maybe where the client would otherwise would have been like, oh, that's a weird flag, but let's go see that. I like that location where we're injecting like, oh boy, this is racism. And we, you know, we can't support that because now we're helping somebody that's a racist by buying their house and we're giving them money. And so we have to be really careful about that. I, I absolutely agree. Um, that's uh, I call that, I call that lighting a powder keg uh, theory. And, and I'm going to, tell you a little uh evil thing i do but we come up here at thanksgiving and we have like all of our family surrounded and i like to steal away and play uh we mario kart with my nieces right and uh she'll say hey you know uncle joe you want to play mario kart and i'm like absolutely i'm like just give me 10 minutes and they're like uh what are you doing and i'm like well i'm, I'm just gonna light a powder keg and then 
we'll be down there, we'll have wine, and I'll bring up some like really controversial topic. And we'll all start discussing it. And then I leave and play Mario Kart. And like two hours later, they've been arguing and yelling at each other and, and discussing this topic. And as realtors, our job is not to light powder kegs <laughs> with our people. No, it's not. And the, and and let's just say that the 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 powder is very dry these days. It doesn't take much. Yeah, Smokey the Bear going. says no forest fires right now. Right? Yeah, no. yeah. I want to read a couple more comments. We've got some great comments here. Emily Hetrick again. Basically, they compared the more controversial items to things like as light as sports stuff. Makes us all understand. She also said also a big difference between a rainbow flag and a Confederate flag. One is love, one isn't. But that's not our call in a position of representing clients. Eric Post, just a little word of warning. This one's good. The more you talk about those sorts of things, the more chances you get baited into a conversation that may violate fair housing. Um, so all good, all good points. All good points. Let's move on, Joe. I think you've got one more. Is that right? He's got a seven-minute hard exit, so we'll showing keep time. Yeah. I'd love oh, to hear yeah. more about this, Joe. I honestly don't use showing time, and by your post, it sounds like I should. <laughs> Uh, so th what raised that question is it has never been brought up in masters. It's like the old, you know, do you get rid of your virtual fax number? Right. And there was a time that all of us kept a fax number for the people who couldn't get on board digital signing or scanning and emailing. So we kept it for the people that were lagging behind the times. And then there's a point where like nobody really has a fax number anymore. Showing time isn't for everybody. You have the people that like to, you know, call first, call the seller, call the agent, set up an appointment, and then show it. You have a lot of people that love showing time, and showing time's really gaining legs right now. And um, I want to have both. I want to have showing time for the people that prefer that. I want to have them call the seller and find out a time that's good for them. But if you use them both in tandem, then it's going to be a choreography nightmare for the seller. They're going to have to look at their showing time calendar and then talk to this person to make sure there's no overlap. So I made a decision to only do showing time. If someone doesn't know how to do it, they can call me and I will do it for them in like 30 seconds on my phone. Awesome. And then my sellers have a schedule. The other realtors know that that time is blocked out. There's no, there's, it's very safe, no double showings and everybody wins. But I think we're at the tipping point for those brokers who don't use showing time need to consider learning how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. And it, it's, a, it's been something we've talked about for years where there's just an inefficiency in that process. And, and I think, technology with showing time is finally, you know, what needs to change that. Um, I liked, I liked what I just heard you say, Joan, I don't know if it was in this thread, because I think that is the challenge is people go, well, what's the point in setting it up if no one's going to use it? Well, tell them to call you and you'll do it for them. Um, and hopefully, <clears throat> you know, we, we are at a tipping point where more and more people will use it. I'm going to, I'm going to actually get into this and start looking into this more. Um, would you want to just tell our 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 listeners um like 
what you do, how it works. Like, do you get to choose the length of time? Is it 30 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it an hour for the showings? What are the options with that? How does it work? Give us a high level overview of how, how you use showing time. Take a listing live, it's owner occupied. Yeah, so it says, do you want to enable showing time? You click yes. And then that's on RMLS, right? In RMLS. And yeah. it okay. takes you to showing time. And then it, it has so many settings that you can use that it just says, how much notice does your seller need, if any? Um, are there any uh, so blocked you could out say four times? hours, 24 hours, two hours? Yeah, one hour, zero hours. Um, are there any restrictions? Any, you know, any time between noon and two, for example, if you have an infant that takes a nap during that time? So you can exclude the calendar. You can have crossover showings, or you can say everyone booked is their own showing and somebody else has to book a different time. So there's probably a good 20 or 30 options. It will notify your seller of their preference. If they prefer to know by text, if they prefer to know by email, if they prefer to know by both, they can just uh, get notified as sort of an acknowledgement, hey, someone's gonna be there at one o'clock today, or they can actually tap their app and approve it. And then they have their calendar and they know everything right there. People can give feedback to the listing and people are giving feedback to the listing. Because all of those other platforms, like people hate them and they never do it, people are starting to give feedback on showing time. You can choose whether the seller sees it or doesn't see it. So it's, it's really slick. Um, the only reason I wouldn't use it is if my seller was particularly uh, elderly or not very techie or, or something in that regards. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, it seems like a very... Uh, acceptable, perfect option for notifications, and it's almost instantaneous. Talk about vetting buyers. Um, like if you have a listing where the seller is like, I, I, I only want pre-approved buyers, or especially in the COVID area, I, I want, only want serious buyers. How would that integrate? Could it? Is that challenging? Well, how do you I, know how serious a buyer is? Um, could you, I guess, I guess they could set up the showing and then you be notified and you call them. Is that an option? Um, yeah, I could, I could call every single broker that is bringing a buyer and kind of find out the level of their qualifications and seriousness. But, you know, there's a certain responsibility that I would hope, that broker is making sure people are qualified before they get in their car. And, and, you know, it's not the neighbor wanting to see how they decorate or if they can see their bedroom window from their den window, you know? Um, uh, so I, I leave that to the other broker most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, and I'm not saying on every listing, Joe, I'm just talking about that one off where, and maybe on that one off, you don't use it. Um, I'm uh, very, very impressed with your post, Joe. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to out myself. I don't use showing time and I'm watch. I'm reading all of these threads like showing time. It's so simple and efficient showing time all the way. Use it properly is very effective for both agents. So um, I've got some great people on my team that I'm just going to throw this out and say, let's start 
we'll start. I'll, I'll tell you what. Again. I'll tell you what I I didn't know that I discovered. Um, and Grady Nelson, who posted here, uh, helped me out a lot. Um, we talked twice for about twenty minutes each, and so the sellers um, don't download showing time. Uh, that's for realtors. Their version is something called like my home powered by showing time or something like that. Um, and when you add them as the sellers and their contact information and their preferred way of uh, being notified, it sends them the app that the sellers are supposed to download. And then um, that's pretty perfect. So they have a different app. I didn't know because I'm just learning all about it. And I said, well, I think you download showing time. And then when I actually put them in, sorry about that. An old school landline. There you go. Waiting. Yeah, you're getting a fax, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dial up. Uh, when I put them in, they got information regarding, hey, here's the, here's the app you need as a seller. And, mm -hmm. and he texted me and he said, this thing is the greatest thing in the world. My client. That's him calling to tell you again. Yeah. <laughs> My 1015 is here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, we're at, we're at 1215. Yeah, last, we last two comments and then we can get off the air because it's I know it's your, your stop. Emily Hatrick had a couple more comments. She said, showing time saved my butt a couple of weeks ago. I had a listing with 47 showings in three days. That's a lot of showings. No way I could have kept up with that, which I believe. And she said, plus it's great for maintaining COVID distancing. By the way, it was my first time using it. I'm a fan now. So... Very, go. very popular and very, I, I, I see a wave of momentum for showing time and I'm all over it. And uh, um, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out and next one of these next shows, I'll tell you guys my, my, my takes on it. Thoughts. So. Great. We have a convert. You have a convert. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Well, Hey guys, I think we did good for our first best of masters live, huh? It turned out all right. We pulled it off. Nice work. Yeah. We were yeah. able to address all our comments, go through, screen it. We're getting good at this. Yeah, you proved me wrong with my opinion on, on air. So, you know, <laughs> it worked out for you pretty good today. Thank so. you, Angie. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, this will wrap up this week's show. Maybe we'll see you with uh, Kurt next week or another, uh, you know, big-name guest. We'll see what we can do behind the scenes, but uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.